if the goal is to really democratize finance for businesses and consumers, imagine if MasterCard and Visa has built an interchange network to facilitate payments across the globe. What if Pace can establish a similar global interchange network for digital financing, covering a myriad of services to consumers, businesses, and even financial institutions? Basically, building that digital financing engine that lives in the cloud, powered by blockchain, on a Web3 infrastructure, and serving the needs of the future consumers, businesses, and even financial institutions down the road. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leong, and there is a lot of activity within Southeast Asia on the Buy Now, Pay Later, or BNPL space. With me today is Tarukas Fuad, or otherwise we know him as T, a successful serial entrepreneur in Southeast Asia, and now the founder and CEO of Pace Enterprise. T, welcome to the show for the second time. Bernard, thank you for having me. It is a complete pleasure. Yes. So since our last conversation between then and just before the start of this new venture with Pace, what were you up to and any lessons that you have learned that you might want to share with others who aspire to be an entrepreneur like yourself? I remember the last time you were the managing director of WeWork across Southeast Asia and Korea as well, right? That's correct. Just like everyone else, uh, we, we go through the ups and downs of the pandemic a few good things that came out of it. Perhaps as a new hobby, I started to make a lot of breads, artisanal breads, uh, just like a lot of people out there, I suspect, during the, the shutdown or the, the lockdown. I'm, I'm talking about cultivating your own yeast and making everything from scratch, right? And, and as I do that, I quickly realized that yeast is a very important fundamental element in baking a delicious bread. You can always use different flour and ingredients to make different types of breads, but at the end of the day, yeast is that core, that one fundamental element that makes things exponential, if you, if you can think of it that way. So analogous to how I build businesses, I guess, uh, our, our yeast has always been our people. I've been very lucky and fortunate that folks have, have always joined me in, in terms of starting companies, and there's a set of people even with behind pace, instead of, I call them my lieutenants, right? They've been with me for five to 12 years now across multiple companies and different uh, senior leadership positions that we held as, as companies acquired us. So I guess for my fourth company, Pace, the same yeast are being applied here. Despite being a new industry, uh, this yeast of people behind it has been well tested. You know, we have, has developed in us robustness and then to really execute with, with precision. And for that, I guess I've been very grateful and lucky that we've been able to kickstart this venture pace in the midst of COVID. And we're hoping to, to keep doing well. Which comes to the main subject of the day that is about pace enterprise. So I think to baseline everyone for the conversation, it would be great to introduce the buy now, pay later space or what people call BNPL. And why is it such an interesting area that many have ventured into the space? Because there was a recent 29 billion buyout of Afterpay in Australia by Square, which was founded by the ex-CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. Yeah, well, so, so BNPL, or Buy Now, Pay Later, like many technologies, it's, it's really an improved rendition of what is available today. So in this case, the predecessor of BNPL are essentially the installment purchase plans that are typically offered by issuing banks through credit cards or by large lending companies. And typically, they are offered to folks with some credit history or have some financing option. 
So when BNPL came around, uh, the way I look at it is the better, faster version of that. It is fully digital. It is agnostic to banks and payment options. And what this means to consumers, businesses, and the ecosystem is that to the consumer, you know, BNPL offers or democratizes financing for them. So allowing those who may not have access to financing options to really split their payments into multiple purchases with zero interest, which is great. So to those consumers with existing financing options, BNPL just provide them a, a much more robust digital alternative. Now, to the businesses, besides companies like Pays giving them an installment payment plan to their customers, BNPL also allows them to really optimize sales efficiencies. So targeting new segment of users, allowing them to split their purchases, right? So now they can afford potentially more, they can if they can afford a particular product or service, and also just at the end of the day, increasing sales altogether for them because of the better conversion. Now, to the entire ecosystem, the fintech ecosystem, BNPL has been growing rapidly, like you said, right, over the last five to seven years. But it's just picked up over the last few years because of three things in my mind. I think it's the pandemic is a big part of it. It's also the new attitudes towards money from the Gen Zs and millennials. If this Gen Zs and millennials are the ones that are growing up with digital payment options and, and not really using credit cards, like my generation's does. And then, of course, the proliferation of, of digital payments. And this is tethering to that web 3.0 technology that we're going to talk about the rest of this conversation. So a great way to start this is that I recall you often put the word mob behind your last two startups, which is Travel Mob and Space Mob before they are acquired. This time, you took a different approach in the meaning. <laughs> I wanted to know what's the inspiration or the origin story behind Pace Enterprise. You know, I, I love that question, but I thank you for asking. From a high-level perspective, the inspiration remains the same as my previous startup. It's an opportunity to create real impact on the world. And in your right, Mob is no longer used for this particular company. And if you recall, I use Mob because typically people use Mob to describe the angry mob. And what does the angry mob do, right? They, they create chaos, they disrupt, they really create change. And to be honest, those two companies, SpaceMob and TravelMob, did just that. But for Pace, I also learned that at times to really change things, it's not always about fighting the existing reality. But one has to build a new model that perhaps makes the existing model obsolete. right? And with that, along with the impact to the world, I think that's how Pace came about. I see. And I, I know you talk about this Pace Enterprise, part of its mission and vision is about financial inclusion. I guess as the founder and also the CEO of the company, what is the mission and vision of Pace Enterprise in your point of view? So, you know, it took us a while to really simplify this, but it boils down to, you know, what Pace is trying to do is to democratize finance for consumers and businesses. Simple as that. And we believe that BNPL is a starting point to, to really develop the foundation of our user base, right, which is the consumers and our businesses alike. So as, as, as BNPL offers consumers the option to split their payments and optimize their spending or cash flow, we, we hope to develop that relationship further. And over time, we would like to offer a series of financing products and services to them. And likewise, for our merchant partners, besides optimizing their sales and, and with the insights and what we will develop together, we hope to add additional value beyond the consumer-facing front. You can imagine about how we can help businesses with B2B BNPL, with perhaps supply chain financing, 
invoice factoring types of businesses. Those are the things that ultimately is what PACE is all about. It's all again, right, is to really give access to financing options to consumers and businesses that otherwise either don't have them or give them additional options that are more digital, more agnostic to banks as a standalone service. So that's what PACE is, is trying to achieve. Mm. And the market that PACE is currently addressing, is it specifically focused only on Gen Z? Actually, the landscape is much bigger. I think when people think about total addressable market, sometimes with a new innovation, something like BMPL, it actually opens up new market segments for the space. It's actually much bigger than we originally think it is. And, and that, that's how it is with every company, to be honest with you, the ones that at least I started. You start with something and then it kind of expands on further and further. So, and, and you're right, I think the early adopters are definitely Gen Zs. And we've seen that in other companies around the world that, that focus on BNPL. And we too experience the same early traction, right, with the Gen Zs and the millennials as well. But from a its segment perspective from a business side, look, we offer and cover a wide range of segments. We have merchants that does fast fashion, F&B, education, to even car mechanics. So we do have, you know, I think, close to 50 car mechanics in Singapore that offer pace to their, their customers when they bring in their cars for repair. So anything that, and, and everything that allows our consumers to really stretch their dollar without paying interest for their installment payments and allowing our merchants to really just convert their sales better, that's what we're trying to achieve. At the moment, we are live in five markets, so Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, Hong Kong. And to be honest, we haven't officially Japan, officially, but for you, Bernard, this is the first time I'm sharing it with with the public that we are live in Japan. We just haven't went out there to announce it just yet. And you'll notice that the markets that I mentioned, mostly more developed market and, and by design, we're warming up by expanding to these markets with more mature consumer economies so that over time we can sort of refine our algorithms and make sure that we're lending to the right people, we're financing the right businesses and the right consumers. And over time, we would enter those more developing countries where we have the opportunity to represent the underserved individuals and businesses, right? which potentially is a much bigger market in Asia Pacific. I like the way that you target your focus currently first to the developed markets because they are more sophisticated and I think BNPL works pretty well. I think what I'm very curious to know is I went to your website and I looked at the Pace app. How does it work for the normal consumer and for the merchant who wants to use it and how does it bring value to these two groups of stakeholders? So for our consumers, it's very straightforward and simple. We only have one product offering today before we start looking into different products. But the product that we offer them today essentially is the ability for them to split their purchases into three payments over 60 days, right? So this value to them is really to allow them to stretch their dollars and manage their spending much better. And to be clear, they are not paying any interest for the ability to split those purchases, right? So in a way, it's kind of free money for them essentially to really experience the kind of shopping that they want to. For our business merchants, our merchant partners, we really help them target consumers that otherwise may not have the financing options. So this is, in in Singapore in particular, we found out that a large majority of our user base are using debit cards. And debit cards have never been given an opportunity to, to really do installment payments before by the issuing banks. So this is the first time for most, for a lot of our debit card users, this is their sort of first foray into really developing a credit scoring with companies like us. But to our merchants, if you go back to them again, it is about optimizing their sales efficiencies. So beyond just 
the split payments, we do help our merchants target their products and services to a more precise demographic nationalities and perhaps even income groups. So there is this story where we help one of our merchants who sells uh, women undergarments. And we found out for them that almost 12% of the user base that use pays are men. And when male go into this store, they spend 25% more than their female counterpart, right? So to us, we are just more than just a, a payment partner to this merchant. We became user acquisition and user uh, engagement tool for them to be able to now target men, ability to spend more in that particular shop. So we've, we've done this in several ways with the different merchants that we have by giving them additional insights about how they can optimize their sales and in a way, giving uh, upside to both sides of those fans where consumers can benefit from it. And of course, the merchants are benefiting from it as well. I think this is the first time I really hear someone really addressing the data and the insights acquired. I think you're probably the first person that really put this really in the front of what Pace is actually doing. I'm, I'm pretty curious, like what is the business model behind the Pace app that allows consumer to actually spread their purchases into the, this three interest-free installments? To kind of go back to your point, Bernard, and, and you're right, and maybe one thing that I didn't cover as well, which I think is interesting for your listeners, especially those businesses that are looking at BNPL, we found out that a large majority of transactions are still happening in the retail stores offline. So with offline purchases, if you ask the retailers, they have no idea who discuss who these people are, how old are they, where are they from, what income group are they representing, they have no idea. But with BNPL solutions that pays offers, we know everything about the consumers. We can, in a way, give that information back to, to our retailers and merchant partners and say, hey, look, this is how you can optimize your marketing better, that this particular segment is coming in a lot more than that segment. Did you know that more male are coming in here? And do you know that more Malaysians, more Filipinos are shopping at your particular store? Those are the, the fine detail that we can go down to, in a way, that makes us beyond just a payment company where we're becoming a, a real marketing and, and user acquisition partner to a lot of these merchants. And that is why, to answer your question, our source of income is predominantly from the merchant discount rates that we charge to our merchant partners. So essentially, we take a percentage of every transaction that goes through our BMPL solution, and we make money from our merchants, essentially. So from that perspective, it's like a factoring solution. We buy the receivable at the discount from our merchants and we collect the payments from the customers itself. But from the consumer patterns and from the way the consumer make the purchases, you also will somehow build a credit score for this individual who or a group of aggregated individuals. So there is actually a very good sense of knowing what kind of people with what kind of purchasing powers towards certain products. And exactly. I think probably that's the end goal, right? Yeah, and that's the end goal, right? And all this data that we're accumulating is all anonymized, but it basically gives us a good picture into exactly who are the customers that are able to afford a certain segment of products and services, and who are those that you know we can kind of continue to build to make sure that they have a credit history so that we can give them the financing that they need. So to your point about being a company that focuses on financial inclusion, and that's that's why it started with this, right? This allows us to build that foundation. And over time, the whole objective is for us to, to allow this financing engine, right, to be, to be living on the cloud and accessing and, and giving uh, different types of financing opportunities and solutions and services to both businesses and consumers all around. 
So one interesting point, and I actually have countless Twitter conversations in discussing this particular point of view. There are some people who believe that BNPL is a feature rather than a company because I think from their perspective, they're thinking in terms of wallets, like for example, your Grab or Gojek Pay or your Fave or your some super app within the country itself. I think there must be something to say. You probably have seen something different because with your tricycle, I probably know that there must be something that I think I didn't see. And I think that is a very naive way to just say something is a feature rather than a company. So uh, what is the mental model behind this point of view? And what is the thing that maybe people are not seeing or maybe some considerations that they haven't thought about? Maybe BNPL is not just a feature, but a company. Sure. I think perhaps the larger point here is how Web 3.0 technologies has been accelerating fintech development exponentially. Because of that, I think, and all the, the different technologies that's applied to it, it really results in a blurring lines, right, between all sorts of fintech solutions. So like you say, a wallet provider can become a BNPL provider, but I can also argue a BNPL provider can start building its own wallet, right? So all these things in, in the local sense is becoming a bit of a rojap. It's a, a mixture of everything. I think what matters most is the value that one provides to its customers. And if you keep that aside, and let me tell you another perspective. So if you kind of just look at numbers, BNPL is still a nascent and evolving model. So there was one study done by FIS Global Payments. These are the WorldPay guys, the payment gateway guys. So according to them, BNPL is still representing less than 1% of the entire total digital payments in Asia Pacific including China. So it's just 1% of all digital payments. And credit card represents about 24 to 26% across Asia Pacific. And if you kind of think about that, it is still very early to kind of talk about whether it is a feature or a product. And, and based on my experience, I recall that when TravelMob and Airbnb first started, you know, you know what Airbnb does and what TravelMob does. Back then, there were plenty of OTAs trying to offer similar products as part of their hotel and airline offerings. OTAs are online travel agencies like Booking and Expedia and so on. So was it a feature or not? That was a question that a lot of people asked. Was, was Airbnb and TravelMob, was that a feature or was that a standalone product, a company on its own? At the end of the day, I think back to my initial point, I do believe that a company that focuses on a well-defined solution and a single approach tends to add more value to its customers and partners. I mean, that's, that's how I look at it, right? And I think time will tell. <laughs> I, I'm, of course, on the side of seeing how BMPL is the starting point for us to build a much bigger company beyond that, right? And I think that's, that's what we're trying to achieve and that's what we're trying to do as a company. It would be interesting to have this discussion again sometime in the future when we see how Pace evolve. I want to also come to talk about who are the key investors of Pace Enterprise because I understand Vertex Ventures, who was the investor to your last startup, SpaceMob, that was acquired by WeWork, is back on this one too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to have folks that you, you, you believe in, you trust, and, and you work well together. So we've been lucky. We, we have uh, Vertex, we have Alpha JWC out of Indonesia. Those are the two companies that invested in us in, in the seed round. For Series A, we, we, we added a couple of local giants in, in, in their own countries. So we have Atinum Partners, which is one of the top three largest private equity firm in, out of Korea. 
we have Marubeni benches. Marubeni is what they call a, one of the Sogo Shosho, uh, Sosha of, of, of Japan, right? One of the trading companies. We, we have uh, Yobi benches, right, out of Singapore. And we have Petworks out of Taiwan. Now, who, who I believe Jamie was on your your show recently, right? I'm a big fan of Jamie. So it's good to, to have this guy support us in Series A. And if you notice, they all represent the countries that we are expanding to. So to Taiwan, to Japan, to Korea. And of course, uh, UOB Ventures being one of the, the largest banks in Southeast Asia, their presence will definitely help us to expand across Southeast Asia as well. There's a lot of discussion about younger people getting a lot of rising debt because of BNPL. I, I think you are probably one of the few companies that actually done some work to address these regulatory agency concerns about rising debt from younger people who tend to use BNPL services. So what, have, what efforts have you done on that front? First, it is very important to highlight that as a company, we, we take a very proactive approach when it comes down to working with regulators. We, we've gone down the path of proposing ways to ensure that all parties in the ecosystem is empowered, but equally important, protected as well. So the, the last thing we want to do as a company, as an individual, as a CEO of, of, of this new startup is to feel guilty going to bed at night by creating unnecessary debt. And that's never been the intent. The intent is all about making sure that we are giving the right people, um, the right consumers and the right businesses a well-deserved financing option. So as a company, we have always been in favor of regulation. We've been in constant contact with local regulators across the market, including our own here in Singapore with MAS. We've been in talks with them almost on a bi-weekly and monthly basis, right? Key, key is to really, you know, mitigate any potential rising debts, right? And, and to make sure that when we do apply regulatory eyes to this, uh, we want this to be symbiotic in all ways, right? We want this to benefit consumers by giving them multiple different financing options. Uh, we want this to be beneficial to companies like us who provides the solution. And at the same time, the, the objective here is not to completely dismantle the existing system like the bank, but to really empower them as well. They can be a partner of ours. In fact, we have powered BMPL to both OCBC and UOB in Singapore in our early months of our life. And we'll continue to do more things with those banks. So our goal is to really just become that symbiotic partner to everyone, including the regulators. We have also observed that different BMPLs earlier than Pace are now acquired. So for example, Hula was acquired by Shopback and Octify, a Y Combinator BMPL startup was recently acquired by Latitude Pay. I think what do you think about the BMPL industry in general and what does it mean for Pace moving forward given this consolidation recently in the BMPL space? Yeah, I, I think I've been through that consolidation a few times in my life now, so I, <laughs> so I totally understand how that works. Like, like anything, like as industries mature, right, there'll always be consolidation and, and, and it'll continue to be the case for the next few years and months, right? Uh, especially with, even with global players, you started talking about Afterpay being acquired by Square. I think we, we foresee that happening for the next few years and, and we'll continue to do so. But for us, I've, I've kind of jokingly said that this is hopefully my last one. I'm, I'm too old to do a few more startups at this point in time, but, but my wife doesn't believe me. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, you know, assuming this is the case, right? assuming this is my last one, our, our objective is to really grow pace. And, and truth be told, my last three companies that I've started that have been acquired, they were never built to be sold. They, they were built to last. Uh, it's just that I've been very lucky and fortunate that a lot of these companies really like what we built. And 
And sometimes when they make an offer you can refuse, you, you proceed, right? But, but beyond consolidations, we also see the rise of companies that have managed to secure an entire regional footprint, right? And you've seen guys like Klarna, you've seen guys like Afterpay and Affirm. And for Pan-Asia region, there's yet to be one company. So our objective is Pace is working towards being that company for Pan-Asia. And that's the immediate goal and objective that we are trying to be as we continue to plan our flags across Pan-Asia the next few months. It was very interesting to have this conversation with you because I think you kind of dive very, very deep into the market opportunity for BNPL and what kind of technologies that you put on top of it to create better value for your customers. So recently I read this article about from McKinsey that's on BNPL and also the five different business models to compete. I think it was actually specifically looking into the BNPL space in the U.S., they call it the point of sale financing services in the US and it's grown significantly, like you said, during the COVID period. So they propose five different offerings that actually integrates across the purchasing journey of the customer. I think one approach was integrated shopping apps, I think which most BMPL companies do. I think there's also the card link installment offerings and then there is off-cut financial offerings. And then we have also seen things like virtual rent to own models and even vertical focus, larger ticket size place, and even SME sales financing. I think instead of just trying to think about, you know, take whatever US and then just copy here, I don't think that that's the way we think about this region now. What do you think about these models and how can they be adapted to pace regional play? Because given that we have advanced and we have emerging and even frontier economies across the entire Asia Pacific region. By the way, we, we love that report as well, and I'm glad that you are a fan of it. That, that report was actually written, the pace was formed, right? And it's actually good to see McKinsey write it up because in some ways it really validated our approach and, and our vision as well, right, in terms of becoming more than just what it is today. I think for us, look, a few things that we discovered that we thought was, was unique to the region that we're in. You know, we talk about how a majority of our transactions are still happening on retails versus online. That's new. That's quite unlike what the uh, the folks in Americas and Europe and Australia have seen, to be quite honest. So to support that, that point of sale model, you have to develop different types of technologies. And for us, we develop a merchant app that allows our merchants to integrate to their point of sale that instead of a static QR code where you can place on top of your cashiers, instead we allow them to show a dynamic QR code using an app, right, that is integrated to their point of sale. So it's more secure. So instead of the customers punching in their own amount, it's the cashier that punches in the amount, making sure that it's all accurate and the customer scans. So stuff like that that we have to build based on the, what the region is kind of looking for. And, and I think it's key to just highlight that it is important for us to be hyper-local, right? Especially what you said just now, Bernard, this is a very fragmented market in Asia. Asia is not one. Asia is made up of 10, 12 you know, key markets right out there where languages and cultures and shopping habits are very different, right? So, so this means fully understanding attitudes of the young towards money. Yeah, preferred methods of payment and how they shop both online and online store. I think it's super important to us. So one example, and I'll give this a bit more since we haven't talked publicly about it with any media, but for you, Bernard, I'll tell you a bit more of this. So in Japan, right, we accept beyond credit and debit cards payment options. So we support this model called the Conveni model. Conveni basically stands for convenience stores. If you and, and like many Singaporeans who have been to, to Japan 
many times, you know that Japanese live around these convenience stores. Besides just buying knickknacks and things, Japanese do make their payments for their utility bills and other forms of subscriptions at, their, at these convenience stores. So for us, we do ex- accept convenience payments as a way to make pace payments in Japan. So this is one of those few things, right, that we had to do, we had to develop to be hyper-local, right? So beyond what the McKinsey report is saying, but in the same mindset, we, we are taking it the next step further by really just adapting to what the local markets requires for us to build around that and to expand beyond that as well. Mm. So would, would it be right for me to say that hyper-local is really where the merchants in the region get the most value from using PACE? Because that's where you actually extract the highest value from all your customers around that area, uh, whether it's offline or online. On yeah. There. And this is the pace direction. That, that, that's correct. I think at the end of the day, right, for us, we do see this as our starting point. We do see this as a way to, to build relationship with our consumers and businesses alike. So for them to be able to engage with, you, with us more, we need to make sure that we give them the shortest line to get there. If we adapt to them rather than them adapting to us, I think that makes us a much more compelling company to work with and hopefully uh, a much more better value that we can provide to them as well. So T, since I have you here, I, I wanted to get your sense about the trends of fintech and payment space that you observe in the, whether it's Southeast Asia or even Asia, bigger Asia Pacific region. Where do you think this is going to? I know just now prior to us before starting this conversation, we had a little bit of a short discussion <laughs> on Web3. So That's I right. just I, I think you have a very good, interesting perspective looking into the Web3 space. Maybe we can talk about it here as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question. And truth be told, right, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that I'm not a subject matter expert in Web3 yet. All of us are, as you can tell, learning and adapting and figuring things out. But it goes without saying that all new Web3 technologies are going to be the main accelerator, right, in the payment space, in, in, across fintech in general, I think. I, I think we continue to see the evolution of it, right, and even in companies like ours and and I think we're going to be able to find market niches to operate in and, and perhaps dominate. I, I think blockchain and Web3 would bring about what we spoke earlier. When you ask me why can I include Mob in this new venture? And I, I do believe that what we're doing is beyond disruption. It is about creating something new and potentially putting the current model either obsolete or close to being obsolete. I mean, DeFi has always been, you know, uh, decentralized financing, right? So it, it, finance is always typically associated to Bitcoins. But if you think about it, if you embellish it with the overall Web3 approach, it is much more than that. It is about transitioning our BMP product like ours from a standalone financing and factoring solution into potentially a completely independent digital financing engine that lives on the cloud. Not controlled or limited within a particular wall garden, right? But as a digital financing service accessible to all. So that's how we see Web3 and blockchain and everything in between to be really being applied to what we're trying to do here. If the goal is to really democratize finance for businesses and consumers, imagine if MasterCard and Visa has built an interchange network to facilitate payments across the globe. What if Pace can establish a similar global interchange network for digital financing? covering a myriad of services to consumers, businesses, and even financial institutions. 
basically building that digital financing engine that lives on the cloud, powered by blockchain, on a Web3 infrastructure, and serving the needs of the future consumers, businesses, and even financial institutions down the road. That's what we see pays us, at least in the next few years, as we grow towards that. And I, I like that point of view that you mentioned. The question is not whether the technology is here or not. The question is when. Precisely. Yeah. Mm. I, I think all of us have to adapt to it. And <laughs> <laughs> to find that niche, to find that area of the point of entry. And I think back to the question of whether it's a feature or product, right? I think to us, BMPL is a stopping point. It is that entry point is what you use at the end of the day to build the rest of the infrastructure. And, and targeting the right segment is, is I think, what will make us uh, different from the rest of the companies out there. So before we go to the closing, my last question is, what does great look like for Pace Enterprise in the next few years? Oof, I, I think I've, I've kind of answered that. But look, we are going to deliver right on our mission to, to really democratize finance for businesses, consumers, and, and doing it at a continued breakneck speed. I think that is what great to us will be. I'll be honest, there'll be a lot of unknowns as we go out there and try to figure out this third leg of, of fintech as we were trying to develop this. Our, our objective is, again, not to become another neobank. Our objective is to become that digital financing or banking engine to really support, empower, and to give freedom, right, of, of financial inclusion to, to the consumers and businesses that we support. T, many thanks for coming on the show. And I think this is probably one of the best conversations I have in the last few months. Oh, thank you, Bernard. <laughs> in closing, I have two questions. My first question is, any recommendations in the form of maybe bow, movie, podcast that have inspired you recently? Could be a Netflix TV show too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I maybe not a book or TV show, but perhaps a recent, a recent thing that just happened. I, I like playing tennis and I've been playing for many, many years. And then I'm not good at it. Let's not let's not kid ourselves. But the, the recent Australian Open, if you guys watch it, Nadal came back to win his 21st Grand Slam title. Right, he was down two sets and losing it. But his victories, you know, and he's 35 to 36 years old, so not a young, not the typical age, right, to, to be winning a lot of Grand Slam at, at this point. But his his victory really spells out a few things for me and inspired me, right? One is you never count out the mindset of a champion. I think that mentality don't change, no matter how, how old you are. And, and never underestimate the wisdom or the experience that have been brewing for years, right? About the yeast that we talk about, right? I mean, yeast sometimes, if you bake breads, right, that can be tens or twenties of years in terms of aged yeast that, that it's so robust and it's so tasty that you cannot replicate that unless you go through it another 20 years, right? And lastly, for the Nadal experience, you always appreciate the supporting elements around you. And I think for him, it was the love from the crowd. I think, I think the crowd just loved him. They were supporting him in everything that he, he did. And I think that gives him that extra boost to really be able to win that 21st Grand Slam championship for him. So that, that inspired me recently. And I think that like Nadal, there is the muscles, you know, the muscle memory that allows him to be the champion, think like a champion, or to even have a comeback. Similarly, there will be the entrepreneur muscles that you have <laughs> through your different ventures and hopefully reach the good to great at some point with Pace. I hope so too, Bernard. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. that. How, how can my audience find you? I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, and my handle is at Turohas, my first name. So at T-U-R-O-C-H-A-S. So you guys can find me there and I appreciate the love and the support. And thank you for having me, Bernard. I'm super grateful.
of course you can find us in any of the major podcast platforms now and all we are asking now is if you can give us a review give us a five star and help us uh, to spread the word on the podcast and of course a tweet to us and linkedin facebook and everywhere else and once again t many thanks for coming on the show and i look forward to hear more interesting adventures and stories about pace in the years to come thank you sir pleasure's all mine